0: Welcome to A Word from the Valley, a weekly podcast produced for you from Zion Lutheran Church in Middletown, Maryland. For more information about our faith community and our weekly worship services, visit us at zionmiddletown.org or find us on Facebook. We hope you have a great week and God bless. If you know the word, When we were in Pittsburgh a few weeks ago for our 10-year wedding anniversary, uh, we spent the day at the John Hines Museum. The entire museum is dedicated to the history of Pittsburgh, and Mr. Roger played an integral part in that history. and if, And there were a number of exhibits on Mr. Roger. Probably the exhibit that it stands out to be the most was they had parts of his set on display, the tree his living room. And I had a few key episodes playing in the living room of his house on the TV. Hearing Mr. Rogers talk, seeing the closet that held his sweater, hearing some of the lessons he taught to the kids, it brought back a lot of really good memories. And week after week after week, he started his show by singing that very song. So let's meet the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine, could you be mine, won't you be my neighbor? I kept thinking about our time in, at the Heinz Museum this past week as I was working on this message for today, especially thinking about Mr. Rogers' iconic words, won't you be my neighbor? As I thought about a parable that was meant to answer the question, who is my
1: neighbor? The story of the Good Samaritan is probably
0: one of the most popular of all the parables that Jesus taught. There are hospitals named after this Good Samaritan. Yet this parable is only found in the Gospel of Luke. It is simply constructed. Two religious people, a priest and a Levite, who, who are roughly the same thing, but they're not, but they are, but they're not, but they are. You you get one of those things. They walk past a man who has been beaten, robbed, and left for dead on the side of the road. And they do nothing to help him. Yet a Samaritan is the only one of the three that stopped to care for this man. It sounds like a very simple text, but in the world behind the text, this parable comes off as very subversive. The parable starts off with a lawyer asking a question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question to ask a religious person, like Jesus. It's similar to the question that Jesus got often asked too. What is the greatest of all the laws? Most rabbis of the day had a particular law that they believed was the most important. And they would debate the merits of of their favorite laws with other rabbis. This question is not out of the norm. And in my opinion, it's not a trap that the Lord is trying to set for Jesus. Yet Jesus doesn't just give him an answer. He makes the man, the lawyer, the expert in Torah law, think. He asks the well, "What's written in the law? What do you read there?" The lawyer responds by saying, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself." He quotes part of the Shema, which, at least for modern-day Jewish people, is the centerpiece of the daily morning and evening prayer services, and is considered by some the most essential prayer in all of Judaism. One commentator said that the Shema is the equivalent of the Lord's prayer for Christians. The Lord either believes that this is the correct answer, or he trusts that the Shema holds enough importance among religious people that his answer will not get them chastised by Jesus. Even though Jesus says he is correct, that answer is not good enough for the man. His own answer doesn't suffice his question. So Luke says a lawyer wants to diakoholio himself. Most translations for this Greek word use the English word justify. The N.A.T. Bible suggests that it can be either justify or vindicate. The actual Greek word itself, though, involves righteousness which has caused some scholars to wonder if the expert in religious law picked up on the remark about the neighbor and sought to limit his responsibility for loving. Some believe this obligation would only be required towards other righteous people. In Sirach 12, verses 1-4, to the, the writer says, Do good to the devout, and he will be repaid. Give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. The lawyer, was, I think, was trying to see a way if, uh, if, uh, sorry, the lawyer was trying to see if that was right, and thus confidently establish his own righteousness, and limit his liability for caring for his neighbor. Essentially, the lawyer is asking, do I have to help someone who doesn't want to help themselves? How do I help only those people I like? And Jesus' reply to this man's question is the parable. The first two characters who passed by this man who had been beaten would most likely have been going to Jerusalem on behalf of their community to offer a sacrifice on behalf of their entire community of the people they represent. They would have had to go through a ritual of purification and cleansing to be made in order to do their work in the temple. Touching someone who had been beaten, i.e. touching blood, would have made them unclean and unable to perform their sacred work. There would have been an entire community of people devastated that their priest, their Levite, could not have done the work they were sent to Jerusalem to do. This man could have derailed everything they worked so hard to get to. It appears that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. It would also appear that if Jesus had stopped the parable there, that the Lord would be just in only serving those who are already righteous. But Jesus doesn't just stop here. And notice he doesn't just say another Jewish person, but rather he takes it to level 10. He uses a Samaritan, a heathen. A heathen from up north who didn't think it was necessary to have a temple in Jerusalem, who dressed weird, who talked funny, and you can never trust one. This Samaritan stopped and helped this man. The Samaritan bandaged the man's wounds, he poured oil and wine on the wounds, he put him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him all night long. And that wasn't enough, the next day he gave the innkeeper two denarii, which is the equivalent of about $240 today, and said, take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you for whatever more you spend. That Samaritan, heathen from up north, who didn't think it was necessary to have a temple in Jerusalem, who dressed weird, who talked funny, who could never be trusted, in whatever other stereotype we create for people we simply just don't like, care for this man when nobody else would. I know these two religious men might be justified in not helping this man. They have an entire community depending on them, but how do their actions match up to that of Scripture? Such as the prophet Micah when he, when he says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand, tens of thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul?" He has told you more to what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. The lawyer in this passage wants Jesus to identify what makes a neighbor a neighbor. The lawyer is wanting to find a loophole in God's law in order to justify turning someone away who is in need. By being so concerned about who qualified as his neighbor, this Torah expert neglected to consider whether he himself was acting like a neighbor. You know, you can make all kinds of excuses to why you're not going to help someone in need. You can say, it's for religious reasons that I can't help you. Or, you know, a few dollars isn't going to make much difference in in your case. Or you can even say, you know, I just can't trust that you're going to be responsible enough. I mean, you'll probably just blow it on alcohol and other junk food. You can make excuses all we want, but that doesn't mean will be considered a follower of Christ. Remember what Jesus says at the end of his parable, go and do likewise. Those who follow Jesus are to take on the role of neighbor to others, especially those in need and in desperate circumstances. But Jesus doesn't just call out our self-justification for not wanting to help someone in need. Jesus also calls out the consistent boundaries we place around ourselves in this parable. For years, the people in Jesus' audience and crowds thought they were superior and better than their Samaritan brothers and sisters. Laws and traditions at the time demanded that in order to avoid, that you had to avoid Samaria at all costs, and that you had to take longer routes around Samaria. Yet Jesus, through the words of Luke, subverts these beliefs around Samaritans, first and foremost by declaring that Samaritans are indeed not Gentiles but they are part of the wider Israel. We see this in Acts 1, verse 8, when Jesus says, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Judea and Samaria are joined closely together in the scope of the church's mission and are separate from to the ends of the earth. Samaritans in the eyes of Luke Acts represent the contested boundaries of the people of Israel yet they are simultaneously an integral part of the people of God. And their inclusion in Luke's story of Jesus indicates that God's restoration of Israel has begun in earnest. Can you imagine a world where we all treated one another like the Samaritan treated this man left on the side of the road? Imagine how different the world would be when if we saw someone in need we gave them two we gave two days worth of wages to them like the samaritan gave to the innkeeper imagine if we took the prophet's words to heart and we actually do justice that we love kindness and that we walk humbly with our god it's really hard to imagine a world like this as war continues to loom in ukraine syria and other countless unnamed places in this world Violence breaks out constantly in so many safe communities in our own nation. It's hard to imagine a place like this. The parables of Jesus are meant to show us a glimpse, a glimmer of what the coming kingdom of God will look like. And from this parable, I think the kingdom of God, I think heaven is going to be filled with a lot of people wondering how so many Samaritans got in. The world is full of Samaritans, We just have different names for them today. I think heaven is going to be filled with a lot of people, a lot of Samaritans, who we threw out, but who God found. God's intent is to unite the world through his Son. And I firmly believe this will fully come to fruition on the last day when Christ returns. But until then, we can continue to place barriers and separate ourselves from each other. But that is not the Christian way. Christians should act like Jesus and tear down barriers that divide us, whether they be physical or stereotypical, to go and do likewise. Because whenever we draw a line to say who is, on the, who is in the kingdom of God and who is on the outside of the kingdom, remember that Jesus is always on the other side of the line. Jesus spent 33, 33 years of his earthly ministry, of his life here on earth, on the margins why would he change his focus now? Jesus can always be found in scripture with the outcasts. So if we want to be with Jesus and bring people to Jesus, then we should probably go to places that have been declared awfulness. Those Samaria-like places. Because they're filled with people who need to hear the the good news. And they're also filled with people we just don't like. Because that is where we can be sure to find Jesus and encounter people who are asking that all-important question. Won't you be my God.